I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and slash hypergig with details. You can work from the road while turning your vehicle into a powerful high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On a network that covers more roads than any other carrier. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls. Finish up that presentation or answer last-minute emails. Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi to see if you're eligible for a free trial today. Based on independent third-party data, always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet... There's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go paper-tarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Would you help me kill someone if I wanted to for money? Here's here's the thing. I'm going to I'm going to start with no. That's a good answer. <laughs> and then <laughs> I think that's a good answer. <laughs> uh and then I'm going to ask, well, who? Oh, okay, fair enough. Cold blood, no. You know, there's a lot like no. I think the yeah. answer's no. That's good. But That's the answer go- I wanted to do. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah, I I love that you're like, "No, I really love you and I would do anything for you, but" gotcha. No. I mean, Heated situation, like a saloon, outside the saloon showdown, (laughs) high noon. (laughs) Would I kill someone for you or with you? Either way, no. Uh, Would I duel in an old west town if you asked me to? The OK Corral. I'm already there. Okay. (laughs) Outside the Golden Corral. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Oh, we have listeners. We do have listeners. Oh, we didn't see you there. Oh, hi. <laughs> we weren't talking about committing murder. I mean, we weren't talking about committing murder. We were talking about a, a legit duel. That's true. You know, those are legal, right? Uh... What year is it? Well, I'm Diana. And I'm Eli. 
This story is about a couple who were very happy to kill for one another. Yeah. So takes a certain uh, special someone. Yeah. I don't know if they're more dedicated to each other than we are. I I mean, knowing this story, I would say less, but I would also say less. Before we get into that, though, I would love a pick me up. A pick me up. Some kind of emotional boost Hmm. from uh, from anywhere, from somewhere out there in the world. What you got? Ooh, you want to hear some listener mail? (gasps) Listener mail? Do you mean that it's time for mail call? Awesome. Today's mail call comes from a listener named Laura Quirk. Cool last name, by the way, Laura. Great first and last name. LQ. LQ. She wrote to us after listening to the John and Lorena Bobbitt episode. Okay. And she says, hi, Eli and Diana. I was just at the nail salon listening to several episodes of Ridiculous Romance. Thank you. And had to write to you. It's ironic that I was listening to this particular episode since Lorena Bobbitt used to do my nails. What? Back in around 1999, I was getting my nails done at a salon in Springfield, Virginia called Belladonna Salon. I went there for several years and always saw a technician named Lorena. I did not realize she was Lorena Bobbitt at the time. It was only many years later when my friend who had introduced me to the salon told me that it was, in fact, Lorena Bobbitt. And I just wanted you to know how absolutely lovely she was. I adored her. She was always very sweet and kind, a really tender-hearted person, professional, thoughtful, remembered details of your personal life that you had shared with her. And she ended up leaving that salon because she was getting her esthetician license and went to work out at a spa in Reston. She probably did my nails every week for four years. Wow. I never recognized her because the pictures that had been published of her were unflattering. Well, we talked about the media treatment. Yep. And I have to tell you, she has a beautiful smile and was very well put together and had done her hair soft blonde and definitely does not have crazy in her eyes. (laughs) Just such a (laughs) thank you for including that, (laughs) that detail. I had seen an interview that Oprah did with her as a follow up years later, and she was happily married, as you mentioned, too. I just really loved her and thought that she went through an awful lot and she deserves all the happiness and she is a gem. John, on the other hand, is complete trash. (laughs) Has done even more horrible things than I realized. I would have thrown his penis out the window, too. (laughs) JK, I know, Laura. I totally feel you. (laughs) Just like this episode where I'm like, I couldn't kill someone. I was also like, I I don't think I could ever cut someone's penis off, but... I would be sorely tempted if, <laughs> if, if I were married to John Wayne Bobbitt. <laughs> That's so cool that that was her, her manicurist. She also finished by saying, I can say it's really weird to see stuff on TV about someone and then to know them in person and have it be so completely different. Media really did not paint her in a flattering light. No wonder she shunned them. Well, Very good point. Yeah. Well, thanks for writing in, Laura. Yes. It's so cool to hear your story about getting your nails done by Lorena. That's two personal connections to stories we've told. I know. I love I that. I love that. And if you haven't heard the Bobbit story, uh, go back and check it out. But in terms of couples who did terrible things, we've got one today that's a real doozy. That's right. We've got killer couple Raymond Fernandez and Martha Beck, who were known as the Lonely Hearts Killers. We could fill this podcast with couples who murdered together, right? <laughs> uh, there probably are true There's crime podcasts many, yeah. about that specifically. We just want to sprinkle them in because if we find ones that really stand out, and these guys really stand out. They do. These two killed in 1947 to 1948 and died by the electric chair in 1951. <laughs> 
So a short career, but pretty spectacular one, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> this episode, we've got a little bit of everything. We've got good people gone bad, true romance, fake romance, voodoo, old-timey news reporters, a scintillating and salacious tale of deceit, fraud, sex, and murder. I can't wait. Hey there, friends, come listen well. Eli and Diana got some stories to tell. There's no matchmaking or romantic tips. It's just about ridiculous relationships. A lover might be any type of person at all. An abstract concept or a concrete wall. But if there's a story worth a second glance, we'll put it in a show, Ridiculous Romance. A production of iHeartRadio. So Raymond Fernandez, he was born in Hawaii on December 17th, 1914 to Spanish parents. His father was a very proud man, and apparently he was not very happy with Raymond's build. Raymond was kind of a sickly, frail, sort of lanky kid. And Raymond's dad was like, I want a macho son, and this is not what I'm looking for. When Raymond was three, the family moved to Connecticut. The Serial Killer Calendar website. Apparently there's a Serial Killer Calendar website. No, right? (laughs) (laughs) I learned a lot of things. (laughs) And they say that Ray's father ran into a lot of discrimination. (gasps) Not in Connecticut. I know. you'd What? (laughs) He was facing a lot of discrimination, and he struggled to find work. And he landed in a lot of low-paying jobs. He drank heavily and often beat Raymond. Abusive father. Thefamouspeople.com says Raymond wasn't allowed to go to school. His father didn't let him. It just made him do like a lot of menial labor and uh, contracting work with his dad, I guess. And at 16, Ray and a couple of friends stole two chickens. This is the first criminal activity in Raymond's life. And his friends were bailed out by their parents, but Ray's dad refused to bail him out, so he spent two months in jail. I guess that was supposed to be like a tough love thing, but I don't think it worked. In 1932, the family decided to go back to his parents' native Spain. His father became the mayor of a town called Orgiva in Granada, and Raymond worked on his uncle's farm. And at 20, he met and married Encarnacion Robles, with whom he had four children. Okay. And Murderpedia says this time he had a calm, gentle manner. He was well-liked in Orgiva, socially adept and courteous, just like a generally genial, normal, regular, everyday dude. It's got to be, <laughs> I don't know, if you look back at your life and you're like, hey, I was a real calm, gentle, kind, and well-liked person. Murderpedia says so. <laughs> I don't, Are you sure? <laughs> you don't really want that or, or uh, any entry on Murderpedia <laughs> about yourself. Yeah. Spare me from ever being featured on Murderpedia <laughs> in any capacity because it, it won't be good either way. Very true. Victim or <laughs> Unless murderer. it's like, Eli Banks stopped this murder from ever happening. Saved this person's life and put that would-be serial killer on a new path. <laughs> He's now fixed global warming. Wow. That that's would be only, quite an entry. That's the only time I want to be on Murderpedia. Serial Killer Calendar says that Raymond enlisted in Francisco Franco's army during the Spanish Civil War. But uh, we couldn't find another supporting source for that. Anyway, the war ended in 1939 and then World War II broke out and Raymond saw this opportunity. He moved to Gibraltar and sold ice cream to British troops. This guy's delightful. Mm-hmm, I know, right? A little <laughs> ice cream seller. He's handing out ice cream to the troops, to military personnel, to tourists. Just making scoops and, and making days, you know? Making scoops for the troops. Scoops, scoops for, for the, the troops. troops. Come on down and get your scoops for the troop. We got anti-fascist fudge. <laughs> and 
Military Mint. The Boys in Blueberry. <laughs> and um, <laughs> Raspberry Ripple. That one's not a pun. It's just a <laughs> delicious flavor. <laughs> People just love it. People just love it. Okay, so he's selling ice cream. And apparently at this point, he was approached by a British Army intelligence officer who thought that an extroverted chill dude who made friends easily might be a good addition to their spy network. Hell yeah, he would. You get some info that way. An ice cream I, I spy? Come on. Come on. That you're going to get all the secrets like that. Because you got uh, you got the Germans over there being like, oh, I get my child a scoop of, the, of the anti-fascist fudge. <laughs> I don't we are fascist, but he loves it. Meanwhile, <laughs> while we're waiting for him to finish scooping, let me tell you all the secrets. Oh, Lord. <laughs> the ice cream scooper is just like, let me listen in. It's a perfect system. You think Germans only had vanilla ice cream because it was white? Well, they could put butterscotch on it because it's like blonde. That's true. Little it's like blonde, blonde hair. hair. <laughs> and little little blueberry eyes because you get the blonde oh, hair, blue eyes. eyes. Well, now we know how to make okay, an, Aryan so an Aryan sundae. sundae. <laughs> <laughs> it's vanilla ice cream with butterscotch syrup and blueberry eyes. But the good thing about it is that you get to dig its face out with a spoon. <laughs> That's true. So if you really want to stick it to the Nazis. Stick your spoon in a Nazi sundae today. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, okay. So, yes. Where was I? Oh, yeah. They decided he would be a good spy. <laughs> <laughs> so did we. <laughs> so did we. So Raymond did do some low-level intelligence work for the Allies during the war. And not much is known about that work, of course, because it's clandestine. I mean, it's you're not supposed to know. Right. That's the whole point. <laughs> Otherwise, he wouldn't have done known. a very good job. <laughs> a lot is known about this terrible spy. <laughs> <laughs> But Bruce Sander, in an article published in Killer Couples, mm-hmm. quotes a glowing testimonial that British intelligence wrote about him. Raymond Fernandez was entirely loyal to the Allied cause and carried out his duties, which were sometimes difficult and dangerous, extremely well. Well, this quote is why I question the thing that he joined Franco's army, mm. because Francisco Franco was a fascist and the Nazis right. helped him overthrow the democratic government of Spain. So I was kind of like, well, then why would he, you know what I mean? If he fought for Franco, why would he now be against the Nazis? Yeah, unless he's just like fair weather. He's just super devoted to whoever he happens to be. He's just a good employee. Yeah, that's kind of, I was like, maybe he's just not very political at all. And he was just like, I mean, I'm here. I got to do something, uh, whatever. I don't know. And I I, I think military service does pay, maybe not during a war. So I was like, maybe he did for money. I really don't know, but totally. Speculation station. Why the fuck did Raymond (laughs) first fight for the Axis powers and then fight against the Axis powers? So the war ends and Raymond has, you know, had this exemplary service for his country, for the allied powers. So what we got so far is what seems to be a chill, nice, pretty brave guy. Um, He did menial labor to take care of his family and pay the bills. I mean, just kind of a normal dude. Sounds great. I like this guy. Doesn't sound like a killer to me. I don't see myself ever having a problem with this guy. But wait, there's more. Oh, man, there's always more. (laughs) Every time somebody seems like a good guy. They keep living. They keep the- <laughs> You either die a hero or you live long enough to become an asshole. <laughs> I mean, shit. <laughs> Why is that so true? Oh, man. Raymond decided at this point that he would sign on to a naval ship because he was kind of like, I'm done doing, you know, scraping by on these little chore jobs and working on a farm and stuff. So he signs on to, to work in the Navy. But an accident occurred that would change his life. Oh, no. A steel hatch cover fell on his head, cracking his skull and damaging his frontal lobe, 
which is the part of your brain that regulates executive functions like memory, emotion, impulse control, problem solving, and social interaction. Uh, So those aren't that important. Those are very secondary skills for a human being. He had luxuriant black hair before this that he was very proud of, but the accident caused it to be sheared off, of course, and then it stopped growing. That is difficult to deal with. And there were gruesome scars in its place on Mm. top of his head. So I think it really was a big blow to his ego um, because he was sort of good looking before that. And now he's, you know, probably feeling pretty gross. And his personality underwent serious changes, which can happen when you have damage to your frontal lobe. Right. Oh, I wanted to bring up. We've probably all heard by now the story of Phineas Gage. They talked about him in Stranger Things. It's been in a lot of uh, movies and pop culture and stuff they talk about. But this is a real case where the guy got, uh, he was working in a mine or something, and there was an explosion and a steel rod shot straight through his head. Came out the other side, and he was fine. They were amazed because he was like, he got up, he like kept working or something. He was totally fine. And then in the coming months, people started to say that his entire personality changed and he got really mean and grouchy and stuff. And that was sort of the first instance of them discovering, oh, you can fuck up part of the brain and affect a part of a person, you know, drawing that correlation between that specific part of the brain and those specific elements of your personality. So we're all just a steel spike away from being a dick. (laughs) Hey, some of us don't even need that. I wonder if some of us... (laughs) Couldn't use a steel spike. Right? Maybe right. it would adjust. Shift things in the other direction. <laughs> Terry Pratchett, in one of his books, has a joke about retrophrenology. Uh-huh. His phrenology, for people who don't know, is this not very scientific <laughs> thing where um, apparently you're supposed to be able to tell a lot about your personality by kind of examining the bumps and hollows of your, your head. And Terry Pratchett has a really fun joke in his, one of his books about how if stands to reason that if bumps and hollows cause personality characteristics, mm-hmm. that if you were to hit yourself on the head and cause bumps and hollows in certain areas, you could <laughs> adjust your personality accordingly. <laughs> and so he has this troll who's a retrophrenologist and he hits you with varying sizes of hammers on the head <laughs> to try and change your personality. <laughs> so maybe we need to try an iron spike version of that. <laughs> Yeah, with these personality changes came severe headaches. He would be sullen and grumpy. Sometimes he'd even just fly off into a rage at nothing, you know, Mm -hmm. tiniest provocation. So Murderpedia says that the ship docked in December 1945 and Raymond was placed in a hospital until March of 1946. And then he booked passage to Alabama and he stole a bunch of clothes and items on the ship while he was traveling. So he shows up in Alabama, tries to pass through customs, and they're like, Uh, none of the shit you have belongs to you, and he was promptly arrested. Yeah, it was clearly labeled as property of the ship itself. Right. So it was kind of like, what? why did you do that? (laughs) Oh, no, I I wore this captain's uniform on the ship when I got here. This is mine. Like, it's still got the tags on it, sir. So, I don't know, Murderpedia says he had no explanation for his conduct, and when he was asked why he stole the stuff, he said, "Uh, I don't know, I can't think, I can't say why I did it. I just saw other men putting a towel or two in their bags. I thought I'd do the same. I mean, you know, I I just couldn't seem to stop. Well, that's that impulse control. There it is. That's the difference. (laughs) So Raymond's very different at this point. They They want you to take the towels, but just two. You know, you gotta, you gotta stop. Like the robes in a hotel room. Yeah, a little shampoo. I took a shampoo bottle. I took the little bar <laughs> yeah. soap. I took the remote control. I took the TV. <laughs> I took the, the lazy boy. I took the mini fridge. 
And I took the cash register. What do you want from they me? They want you to have them. That's why they put them in the room. <laughs> so he is arrested for this theft, and he's put in a federal penitentiary in Tallahassee, Florida, for a year. Wow, really? Yeah, apparently the judge was kind of one of those no-nonsense, like, oh, zero-tolerance types. But I don't think that this was the right move because he ended up meeting a, a cellmate who was a Haitian man and introduced Raymond to the mysteries of voodoo and occult magic. So Raymond's learning about this stuff from this Haitian man, and he becomes convinced that he is a priest or an ungun in Haitian voodoo. And this gave him power over women, even from many miles away. So he thought he could make love to women by putting like powders in an envelope and sending it to them. He thought that if they sent him a lock of hair... He could use it in a voodoo ritual to bind them to him and basically make him irresistible to them, make them his sex slaves. And I just want to point out here that Raymond knew nothing at all about actual Haitian voodoo practices. <laughs> he only, at the time, of course, anything coming out of countries with a lot of black people in it was seen as being fully evil, dark magic. Right. Okay? So he only understood it to be, you know, something full of human sacrifice and mm. torture and mm -hmm. blood and like dark, weird shit. And that's not accurate. All the books he was reading that he got his spells from and stuff were written by white men in the 1880s. So I don't right. think that they really had a very good grasp of what they were talking about. Yeah. And if he had been a true Evodo Ungan, he would have been tasked with making remedies for sick people and running ceremonies. He would not be getting hair from strangers and turning them into sex slaves. That's not a thing. From what I understand, that is not a thing yeah. in Haitian, Haitian religions. I'll tell you what, it's not a thing anywhere. Right. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, so one way or another, Raymond leaves jail thinking he's got magic. Sharp turn from sharp serving turn. ice cream to the troops. <laughs> so he gets out of jail and he goes to move in with his sister in Brooklyn. Uh -huh. And he starts to write letters in response to Lonely Hearts ads. And these were ads that were placed in newspapers from people who were looking to connect with someone for hopefully a romantic relationship. And it seems weird in this day and age, because we have so many dating apps, people meet almost exclusively online. But back in the day, it was really embarrassing to have to place an ad to find a husband. So a lot of the women that Raymond wrote to were older women. They thought love had passed them by. They were unironically called spinsters. Or they were lonely widows. So they were very easy prey. So he would write them these flowery letters and asked for all these romantic things like a lock of hair and thinking that they'd finally found true love the women often fell for it mm -hmm. he would promise marriage but he would then embezzle checks and money and jewelry and anything he could get from them and then he would cut off contact total ghosting see ya most of these women were too embarrassed to go to the police to report these crimes because like we said, they were ashamed of placing this ad in the first place. They were scared to admit that maybe they had allowed physical intimacies with a man to whom they were not married, right? That was also a big shameful thing. Oh, yeah. And then, obviously, on top of all that, they were extra ashamed that they'd fallen for his tricks in the first place. So he's able to just keep doing this without getting in any trouble because, surprise, surprise, when women go <laughs> to the authorities to say, hey, a man did something terrible to me, the first question is always and has always been, well, what did you do wrong? Mm -hmm. What were you wearing when he wrote you this letter? <laughs> a blue parasol? You were asking for it. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he didn't make a ton of money off of any of these women. It's not like he was going after, you know, Mrs. Rockefeller or something like that. Right. 
But he had so many correspondents that it was kind of his living for a while was these confidence scams. And in 1947, he started writing to a woman named Jane Lucilla Thompson, who had recently separated from her husband. And after some letter writing back and forth, she agreed to meet him in person. This was sort of his standard way of going about it. They would write for a couple weeks, then he'd be like, let's meet. And they would. And that's usually when he'd get their money somehow. Mm -hmm. In October of 1947, Jane bought them cruise tickets to Spain. And using her money, they traveled around Spain for a few weeks and they booked nice hotels as man and wife. They were dining and sightseeing and having a great time together. And like I said, Raymond was a pretty good looking guy. He wore a thick toupee to hide his scars and his baldness. So they didn't know anything about that accident. And he was also very good at making whomever he was with kind of feel like the only woman in the world. He'd be like, you're the most beautiful, desirable woman that I've ever met. I don't want to look at anybody else. So he's very charming. He's got a lot of charm and charisma. And so Jane had left her husband behind for whatever reason. And she's like, I got this hot new man in my life and we're jet setting it in Europe and stuff. So she was probably hanging out with one of her friends Mm -hmm. And she was just like, oh, you wouldn't believe this man I've met. He's so handsome. Really? He's so European. (gasps) He's a Latin lover. Oh, my goodness. And we're going to go travel around Spain and see all the sights. And he's going to treat me like a million dollars. Okay, thanks, Jane. I know you're jealous. Bye. Oh, my heart's broken. I'm going to write a letter to the Rolly Hearts Club. You should. That's where I met him. What a great spot to great meet him. Great places to meet him. Wait, don't tell anybody. It's very shameful. Maybe. Maybe. Except weirdly, Raymond decided to take Jane to meet his wife, Encarnacion. Oh my God. Murderpedia says he introduced his wife as an old friend to Jane, even though they were still legally married. Can't really find out anything about Encarnacion because why would she just let some guy jaunt around the world leaving her with the kids and then bring another woman home to her? Well, I, let me pull into Speculation Station about Encarnacion because I wondered about this. She might be another woman in his life who was sort of like, you do whatever you need to do to pay my bills. Okay. I, d- I don't care. Right. Because they dined out together and stuff. So I think she knew that he was romancing this lady right and she was just like well that's how he makes money and i got four kids to feed so i I don't care i I don't know i mean maybe she just didn't really care about him and she's like sure go off with whoever i don't really give a shit what was so special about raymond this is just i want you to go out and do what you need to do to pay pay for these kids i guess yeah and you can if that includes old american widows then whatever i'll play along this is that level of devotion that we're talking about would you i okay so you wouldn't let me you wouldn't murder someone for me but would you go out and scam a bunch of old rich guys for me i would be so bad at that oh my god (laughs) i I have no patience at all so they would say (laughs) something stupid and i'd be like let me just fucking leave (laughs) give me your wallet what give me your wallet you're a dumbass. Uh, okay. All right. I'm leaving. <laughs> Fuck you. Goodbye, sir. I what? said good day. <laughs> I thought we had something. You did have something, but now I have it. <laughs> See, you're so good at this. <laughs> Incarnation's reasons are lost to history, but whatever they are, uh, she did meet Jane. They dined out together a few times even. But in November, a fight broke out between Raymond and Jane. And he was seen running away from their hotel. He left the country by the first boat back to America. Some fight. This isn't like, you left the milk out again. (laughs) I didn't have milk last night, so it wasn't me. Well, I didn't do it. 
must have been your little friend. <laughs> That's it. I'm out of here. Dun, boat back to America. The next day, Jane was found dead in the hotel room. <gasps> For leaving the milk out? <laughs> she was buried without an autopsy. Later on, her body would be exhumed, and she was found to have died of digitalis poisoning. Ooh. And Raymond had forged a will in Jane's hand, saying that she had left all her money and her apartment to him. Oh. So he went back to New York and moved in with Jane's elderly mother, who also lived at her apartment. And he was like, sure, you can stay here. No problem. I don't care. And the mom was like, oh, what a what a nice guy. What a sweet gentleman. I can see why she would have scribbled out this will with... <laughs> <laughs> to leave everything to him. That mm -hmm. makes sense to On me. On the back of a hotel receipt. <laughs> yeah, so he moves in and he continues his correspondence with the Lonely Hearts Club women. And one of the women he was writing to was called Martha Beck. How about we take a little break before we get into Beck? <laughs> That's good. A little Beck break. <laughs> and we'll come back right after this. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. You can work from the road while turning your vehicle into a powerful high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On a network that covers more roads than any other carrier, connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls. Finish up that presentation or answer last-minute emails. Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi to see if you're eligible for a free trial today. Based on independent third-party data, always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. I bet you're smart. Yeah, and you like to hold your own in the group chat. We can help you drop even more knowledge. My name is Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. We host a daily news podcast called Post Reports. Every weekday afternoon, Post Reports takes you inside an important and interesting story with the kind of reporting that you can only get from The Washington Post. You can listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. Go find it now and hit follow. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve 
with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Welcome back. Now we're talking about Martha Beck, one of Raymond's many love letter lovers. Love letter lovers. (laughs) (laughs) The love letter lovers. Next on Hallmark. (laughs) So Martha was born Martha Seabrook in Milton, Florida in 1920. Martha had a glandular condition that caused her to develop prematurely. Now she was ridiculed by her peers and her mother for being overweight for most of her life. And she claimed at her murder trial... Spoiler alert, that her brother had (laughs) raped her when she was 13. And when she told her mother about it, her mother blamed her for it and beat her. Classic. Yeah. So she was remote and lonely and had no friends her own age. So we have Uh, shit parents on both sides of this. Yeah. Uh, Love story here. Yeah. So Martha became a nurse, but she couldn't find a job. And she said it was because of her appearance. And that's certainly possible. People do discriminate against overweight people and obese people, and they certainly did back then as well. She's the one who said that, but I I believe her. I think that's probably... Yeah. And she might have been told to her face, sorry, you're too fat to work here. Right. Something rude, right, you know what right. I mean? And she ended up getting a job at a mortuary preparing women's dead bodies for burial. And that's like the best job she could get. So we're talking about a lonely person who then spends all day around dead people. <sighs> and she had graduated at the top of her class in 1942, Okay. And by all accounts, she was a very good nurse. So there's a few sources are like, this is probably a real source of anger and humiliation for her that the best job she could find was in a mortuary when she yeah. could she could do more. She was smart. She was dedicated. She was motivated. So she would escape into true romance magazines and, and go to the movies with her uh, with her favorite leading man, Charles Boyer. Big shot movie star back in the early 40s. Mm-hmm. And... After eight months of working in the mortuary, she learned that there was a nurse shortage in California. So she moved out west and she got a job at an army hospital. So like this is around 1943. And at night, she would go out to the bars and she would pick up soldiers. Sometimes she would have sex with them. And as a result, she got pregnant. When she told the father, this motherfucker, he tried to commit suicide by throwing himself into the bay. Jesus. So fucking harsh. Yeah. You'd rather be dead than have a kid with me or marry me. Yeah. I mean, I just, first of all, that guy's crazy. But also, Martha, I can't even imagine. Like, if somebody threw himself into the fucking ocean because he got me pregnant, I don't even know what a blow that would be to my self-esteem. And she barely had any to begin with. Right. Now, I have speculation station. There's probably something else going on with that guy. I I would. I mean, it's probably more than just like, I I don't know. It was was a tough time, early 1940s for a soldier. Probably probably a lot going on in there. But at any rate, still. Yeah, apparently she may have even spent a few days in a psychiatric hospital because of this. Yeah, Um, that makes sense to me. They did plead for insanity, so they they talked about some of this. I don't know exactly if the records exist or if they were just saying it. Right. So Martha's super depressed. She's alone. She's pregnant. And she goes back to Florida. She's like... Fuck California. Yeah. It's 1942, remember? So it's not the coolest thing in the world to be an unwed mother, right? It doesn't exactly put you at the top of the social ladder. So Martha put on a fake wedding ring, and she told people that she had married a Navy officer who was off fighting in the war. She arranged to have a telegram sent to herself saying that he'd perished in battle. 
And then she was just in hysterics after reading it. I mean, putting on quite a show. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. They even the, the whole town was really sympathetic. They even ran the story in the local paper. She got a lot of attention for it. She went all in on everything. But I think it's important to just for the pattern, I guess, is just like she is super lonely. Yeah. Everyone's talking shit about her looks. She can't get a guy to stay with her. And they, I guess they only use her for physical connections for a little while. And then they shuffle her off. Sailors, am I right? <laughs> Seriously, you sluts. Port and to port. <laughs> And then the the like the best attention she's ever gotten is because of a fake husband who died. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just like her romance was like the most positive, even though it was fake. It's yeah. like the most positive thing that had happened to her. So in early 44, she gave birth. And this is her daughter, Willa Dean. A few months later, she met a bus driver named Alfred Beck, who also got her pregnant. But at least they got married. Mm-hmm. And then six months later, they divorced. So she was left alone, now with two small children, because, of course, uh, kids are your problem, says Alfred Beck. Uh, I'm Alfred Beck. I got places to be. I got things to do. (laughs) These kids, you deal with them. I'm a bus driver. I'm going places, literally. (laughs) (laughs) I got to be in Chicago by Tuesday. So uh, she's left alone with these two kids. She just lost her job. And so now she also had no income on top of all that. And again, she escaped back into her romance novels and her movies, dreaming of the day when her own Romeo would appear and sweep her off her feet. One day, Charles Charles Boyle? (laughs) Boyle! (laughs) Boyer. (laughs) But yes. Charles uh, Boyer, Charles who Boyer. went full Boyer. She was Boyer. full Boyer. <laughs> she was full Boyer. <laughs> she went full Boyer for Boyer. All right, you guys are still learning about us, and Brooklyn Nine-Nine is another one that's going to come up a lot. Yeah, I'm a big fan. Sometimes Diana will just say, <laughs> so, seriously, like, out of nowhere, sitting on the couch, and she'll just turn to me and say a sentence that it makes no sense to me. I don't know where it came from, out of the absolute blue. And I think for a second, and I go, well, that must have been a Brooklyn Nine-Nine quote. And she's like, yeah, obviously, it's because of the conversation I was having in my head. <laughs> Led me true. to think of this Brooklyn Nine-Nine quote, and then I had to say it out loud. Yeah, he's not part of this. <laughs> I was not included in the lead-up. The build-up, yeah. yeah. yeah right. She was full Boyer, anyway, for Boyer. Dreaming of Charles Boyer to come sweep her off her feet. And in 1946, she secured a job at the Pensacola Children's Hospital. And she was very quickly promoted to the nurse superintendent. Yeah, again, she's a pretty good nurse, yeah. uh, apparently. She's good at stuff. When she puts her mind to something, she's good mm-hmm. at it. Yeah. She says, I'm going to put my mind to school, graduate top of my class. I'm going to put my mind to creating a fake husband, and I'm fully, I'm going to cry about I'm it when he dies. get in the papers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, she even, she did write about why she chose to be a nurse. Mm-hmm. She said, I chose this profession without thought of self. Not for material gains, but for the purpose of aiding humanity and rendering service to others. Noble. Mm-hmm. Right. So then at this point, either she got herself a form to fill out for the Lonely Hearts Club or Murderpedia said that a, a co-worker pranked her by giving her this form. Because, again, it's meant to be a shameful thing that you need to place an ad uh-huh. to find a husband. If it was a prank from a co-worker, it made her break down into tears. Damn. Um, but she did place the ad in a Lonely Hearts Club called Mother Deneen's Friendly Club, which I just think oh. is funny. 
And the idea here is you fill out a little application about yourself and then they run your little age, sex, location kind of stuff. And uh-huh. then you start getting letters if people get interested in you. The proto Tinder. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Proto uh, OK Keep It or whatever. Yeah, I guess it's more like an eHarmony or something. Yeah, more like Match or whatever. Yeah. Hi, I'm Mother Deneen. <laughs> I guarantee you join my friendly club and we'll match you with the first person we pull out of this pile. <laughs> So she uh, she filled that shit out and she waited for someone to write to her. And mm-hmm. she, much like today, did uh, leave out some information. For example, her weight, which at the time was over 200 pounds. Sure. And she left out the fact that she had two children. And her only reply came two weeks later from Raymond Fernandez. Oh, Raymond, always... Always looking out for the mm-hmm. next for the next ex, Mrs. Fernandez. <laughs> he told her he was a wealthy and successful man in the import-export business. I love that. It's such a catch-all, import-export. Like, you could just say that about anything. That was an old Seinfeld. Oh, was it? Yeah, okay. our, uh, Art Vandelay was this character oh, right. they made up. They were like, what does he do? He's an importer-exporter. <laughs> Imports and exports? Yeah. At first he imports and then he exports. <laughs> Something like that. Well, Raymond is like Art Vandalay, I guess, in this, <laughs> in this scenario. So he told her he lived alone, quote, Here in this apartment, much too large for a bachelor, but I hope someday to share it with a wife. He liked that she was a nurse because he said, quote, I know you have a full heart with a great capacity for comfort and love. When really he was like, oh, nurses have money. Right. They wrote to each other for several weeks. Raymond asked for a lock of her hair, which thrilled Martha. So romantic. And they exchanged photographs, but Martha was still concealing her weight from him. So there's a little anecdote about how she sent him a picture of all the nurses, like all lined up outside the hospital. So he couldn't tell which one was her, I guess. And then she just said, it doesn't do me justice. That's a Tinder trick. That is a Tinder trick. You know, and I'm like, if I post a picture of me and the boys at the beach and everybody's got their shirts off. <laughs> you always going to be like, who's be the like, ugliest boy? Because that's the one talking to me. <laughs> oh, damn. That was me. Well, I, I think really, honestly, she was afraid that he would say something cruel or immediately stop talking to her. Like she would prefer that's the fantasy to the reality almost. Yeah. Understandable. But considering mm-hmm. what she's been through and how people have right. treated her in the past, of oh course. Oh, God. Of course, she's going to be protective about her appearance. Yeah. But he actually came down to Florida to meet with her in person for the first time. And she was goo goo gaga thrilled with this guy because she, quite frankly, thought that he looked like Charles Boyer, the movie star. And he didn't seem to care that she was overweight and he liked her kids. So he stayed for a few days. Total package. Yeah, right? I mean, this guy looks like my favorite movie star. He's not judgmental. He's into kids. Doesn't mind that I lied to him about all that. Yeah, it didn't even come (laughs) up. So he stayed there for a few days. And then he said, oh, I've got to go back to New York for business. You know how New York is. It's all business all the time. I'm an importer. I got imports. I got exports. I got (laughs) a lot going on. Got a big import coming in on Tuesday. (laughs) And then Thursday, you know, it's export day. It's a big export going out. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's all very technical. Mm -hmm. You know, imports. And then you can't just import, you know, that's a one-way street. You got to (laughs) export. 
But he goes back to New York, but he promises that he'll send her money and she's going to join him in New York, which she apparently interpreted as a proposal. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, if you're like, you're going to move to New York with me. And she's, oh, my God, this movie star looking guy. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God, this importer exporter just asked me to move in with him in New York. And it's 1946. So if you move in with someone, <gasps> that's as good as a proposal. So well, she, it must be said he may have mentioned something about being willing to marry her in the letters, right? Because he did do that all the time. Yeah, but, yeah. But still, he still she kind of jumped the gun on this one. <laughs> Martha was really trying to make but sure. He might then. have been dropping little hints. That's, I think he did. I think know. he did. I don't think it came out of nowhere for sure, because he was very much about. Yeah, we'll get married. Absolutely, we'll get married. Crafty. So he probably did it in such a way that you know, gaslighting her into thinking that they were going to do this, but then later he can say, well, I never technically said that. I never Mm -hmm. handed you a ring and said, let's get married. So true. So she told everyone around town that she was about to be married, and she even had a bridal shower thrown for her. But actually, Raymond discovered that Martha didn't have no money. Mm -hmm. That nurse salary wasn't all it was cracked up to be, Mm -hmm. and that she'd lost her job, and that it was just two kids to take care of, and she didn't have no assets. And he couldn't get anything from her. So he got back to New York and sent her a little letter, a little Dear John letter, said, I'm just not into this, actually. You know what? Now that I think about it, I think we need to keep this space between us. So rude. Ugh, what a jerk. I mean, and uh, you know, you almost want to give him credit for at least sending a letter and not just totally ghosting. I guess so. He should have just done another little ritual or something to make her stop loving him. He's going through the the, the fake voodoo (laughs) book being like, all right, where's the cancel love spell? (laughs) They're like, oh, nope. There isn't one of those. You got to be careful before you cancel these love spells. It's a lot harder. You got to get a tooth. Oh, Lord. It's not just a lock of hair. That is harder to get. Wouldn't it be so weird if you're like, I love you so much, honey. Will you please send me a token of your affection like a tooth? Oh, man. So rude. So He says... Sorry, mm-hmm. none of this. Thanks for everything. And let's be perfectly honest. She should have left well enough alone mm-hmm. at that point and said, well, on to the next one. But she didn't because Martha was abruptly fired from her job at the children's hospital. Damn. Um, she thought it was because of her scandalous affair with her Latin lover. Mm. And it was 1947, so women could be fired for having sex outside of marriage. It meant you had a low character and you were a loose woman. So I think it, that she was probably right about that. Listen here. Now, we don't have time for any loose women running around this store. You're a representative of us. Mm-hmm. Every time you walk out the door, That's if right. somebody comes in to... HR Puffin Stuffs and sees some kind of floozy working behind the counter. This is the HR Fluffin Stuffs Children's, Children's Hospital. Hospital. <laughs> and if they see some floozy working behind the counter, they're going to take their sick kids somewhere else. We can't afford to lose that kind of business. Right? I, I was always like, well, what can she do? Do you think she's going to, like, influence the children to, like, <laughs> have a love letter relationship? I don't know. Hey, kids. Hey, kids. Don't listen to all these social structure rules. Yeah. You got to get loose. So she's fired and she's like, oh, hell no, I'm not about to do this by myself again. So she straight up packed up all her shit, took her two kids and went to Raymond's house in New York. And he was very surprised when she was on his doorstep. Like, I'm going to live with you now. Like, just not asking. I'm here to live with you. But he kind of liked that she catered to his every need. She cooked for him and cleaned for him. So, I mean, there's some debate about whether or not he was actually in love with her 
at this point or not. Right. But he may have been had some real feelings for her, maybe because she's she is such a personality. I, I don't know. But she's it, a go getter. Yeah. At the very least, he was like, well, it's nice to have a woman around to do the chores. So I guess you can stay. But I ain't having these children around. I don't want these kids. Uh, they got to go. You can stay, but they got to go. And of course, Martha was like, okay. And she promptly abandoned them at the Salvation Army on January 25th, 1948. Man. And now, uh, and you can go go in the Salvation Army and pick up secondhand kids (laughs) for $1.95. Can you imagine leaving one at a Salvation Army now? (laughs) Very weird. Do I just put this in the the bin outside or just leave them on the curb? Do I get a tax receipt? For this. How much does that worth? I, I guess let's not get into that. <laughs> every time I clean out my spare room, there's like three more kids in there. Children. And I just don't know where to put them. <laughs> really, I just... I've just minutes. outgrown this one. You know what I mean? Yeah. So at this point, and I don't know why, maybe he was trying to scare her off. I don't know. Or he was in love with her and he wanted to be honest. I really don't know. But at this point, Raymond came clean. And he told her all about his wife in Spain. He told her about Jane. He told her about all his Lonely Hearts scams. He laid it out. And of course, Martha is disgusted and afraid. And she's like, ugh, I'm leaving. Just kidding. <laughs> she didn't do any of those things. <laughs> she said, oh, OK, well, sure. How about I help you out? Jeez. I'm very good at picking a direction and going 150% in that direction. <laughs> right. And I wonder, I'm like, maybe there was something appealing about it for her in writing the letters. Again, these like fake romances she could lose herself in that had actually no real life implications sure, yeah, uh, yeah. for her, at yeah. least. Obviously for them, it <laughs> very much did. But like she just, you know, she didn't have to worry about getting pregnant. She didn't have to worry about her heart being broken. She was totally in control. She got to read and write a lot of flowery shit. I mean, I wonder if that kind of was enough for her yeah. to be like, sure, all right, this is fun. And it's not or like if it she, was the money, you know. Well, and it's not like she was a person who had a lot of sympathy for the world. No. It's not like anybody ever treated her well. So she's probably like, look, I've tried to, I'm working at a children's hospital mm-hmm. and they kick me out. I'm trying to give to the troops and they kick me out. Like everywhere I go, I got a condition. Like I got no choice over how I look. But mm-hmm. because of that, the world keeps rejecting me no matter how many good things I try to do. So fine. Yeah. Fuck, I'll scam a couple ladies, whatever. One of the sources kind of was speculating on its own about whether or not she that was half of it for her was that women had always been mean to her mm. and so this was her chance to kind of be like now I'm hurting you yeah and it was like a vindictive kind of impetus so I thought that was interesting she did decide to help him and they started writing to another lonely heart a Pennsylvania woman named Esther Hen and not long after they traveled to see her with Martha posing as Raymond's sister-in-law. And it, like, lent him respectability. It was, like, his chaperone for the unmarried woman that he oh, was going sure, to see. So yeah. it was like, oh, I feel safe around you. You have your sister or your sister-in-law. She posed as either one. And on February 28th, Raymond and Esther were married in Fairfax, Virginia, in the county clerk's office. This is, like, a month after they started writing to each other. I was like, Esther, what are you doing? If they're writing in to the Lonely Hearts Club... They're already ready. I guess. They're like, I'm just the first. I've tried everything else. I am I am like living this life of shame by by sneaking letters off to this magazine in the hopes that someone will take me on. So as soon as I get somebody who's not like, you know, that got snot pouring out of their nose, <laughs> I'll take it. Yes. <sighs> done. Yeah, you know, yeah, I kind of get it. 
I guess. I just feel like even if you're desperate, a month is not very long time. Well, but... we dated for six years before we got engaged. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, the couple, along with Martha, the sister-in-law in tow, they went back to Jane's apartment where they lived. Minus Jane's elderly mother. At this point, she had vacated. Well done, her. Yeah. And Esther told reporters at the murder trial, For four days, he was very polite to me. Then he gave me tongue lashings when I wouldn't sign over my insurance policies and my teacher's pension fund to him. And that I began to hear stories about how he went to Spain with a woman and she died. So she left him. Like, she just kind of ran off one night. Smart. Oh, yeah. Esther's the smart one in this story, even though she married a guy after meeting him after one month. Come on. Well, she learned a lesson. She did. And Martha did keep her car and several hundred dollars they had already stolen from her. Damn. But they did not get her pension and they didn't get her insurance. Yeah. You know, she got away scot-free from that. Yeah. They ran through this scam a few more times, including with a woman named Myrtle Young from Arkansas. Raymond and Myrtle married in August of 1948 in Illinois. I mean, we're February, we're Esther. August, we got Myrtle. What? Martha posed as his sister this time and tried... Everything to keep Raymond from having sex with Myrtle. This was something she was getting a little, starting to take a little seriously. And she's like, we can do this without you sleeping with them. And Raymond's like, yeah, but then I don't get to sleep with them. Uh, Uh, Right? (laughs) He's like, "Mm, that doesn't work for me. (laughs) So Martha even slept in the same bed as Myrtle to to keep that from happening. And obviously that was super weird. So Myrtle complained (laughs) about it to Raymond, who responded by giving her a heavy dose of barbiturates. Knocked her unconscious, put her on a bus back to Little Rock. Unconscious on a bus. Which, oh, uh, hey, uh, my wife's a heavy sleeper. Will you take her to Little Rock for me? Like, did no one see her board? I don't know. The bus driver is Alfred Beck. He's like, yeah, I got to be in Chicago by Tuesday, so let's go. And Martha did help carry her, by the way. Oh, yeah. Of course. She was totally in on this plan. Yep. And and at this point, he'd already robbed her of $4,000, which... Let's find out what $4,000 is in today's money. Mm-hmm. What year was this? 1948. Which today is the equivalent of $44,679. Oh, my God. So he's that's really taking like their retirement funds or something. Yeah, like he's, he's taking their life savings. That's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Myrtle had to be carried off the bus in Little Rock by police because she just never woke up and she died the next day. Damn. So that was one where they were like, this is sort of like not his first murder, of course, because he murdered Jane. But uh, in this one, they're like, they might not have meant to kill her, but they certainly did kill her. And it's sort of the same way that he killed Jane. So it's kind of like maybe Raymond is this poisoner guy. And then they got a little more violent once he got hooked up with Martha. So they ran a couple smaller scams with other women, but the money's running out. They need a big score. So Raymond starts writing to a 66-year-old woman named Janet Fay in Albany, New York. She was recently widowed and she was deeply religious. So he wrote to her under the name Charles Martin. And his letters are full of references to God and Jesus and the church because he knew, you know, how to cater, I guess, a narrative to the reader. And he asked for a lock of her hair. She readily complied. And they made plans to meet in person. Can I just say that Speculation Station, it's (laughs) kind of no surprise to me at this point that Raymond thinks this lock of hair voodoo ritual thing totally works. I know. Because it it keeps working. I mean, (laughs) if you took the lock of hair element out, I think this scam would still play out just like it did. But I don't know. Maybe maybe 
maybe it's not magic, but maybe there was a psychological element there. Mm-hmm. And they were like, a locky of my hair, of course. Maybe that was just like, just that little bit more that made them feel like, oh, this guy really is into me. He wants a keepsake of me to like right. have around him. You know, I guess that is kind of intimate. So Even though it's hair, it's like a part of your body that somebody wants to hold on to. It's kind of making this magic real in a way. Yeah. So on December 30th, 1948, he shows up on Janet's doorstep with a bouquet of flowers. And over the next few days, he introduced her to his sister, Martha. They toured the city together. She even let both of them sleep at her apartment. He proposed. She said yes. And she acquiesced to his plans to move to Long Island, where Martha had already rented an apartment. And then she went and made the rounds the next day and withdrew $6,000 from her bank accounts and everything in preparation for this move. And just to just to keep us on track here, $6,000 in 1948 is calculating transfer rate. $61,019. They all went to Long Island together on January 4th, 1949. Hope you don't mind my sister tagging along. She's uh she's good people. She's just going to help me carry the body. I mean the I mean, uh your, your body. I mean the your yes, your luggage. Your luggage full of cash. I mean, oh, I'm not, I'm not doing great on this one. <laughs> Raymond, you're really letting it all hang out. So there's some varying accounts on what happens here because Martha and Raymond told conflicting stories to the police. Because they're liars. <laughs> and you see, they're liars. <laughs> one story goes that while Raymond had fallen asleep, Martha and Janet got into this argument about Janet writing to her stepdaughter, and Martha killed her in a fit of rage. But then the other story is that Martha caught Janet and Raymond naked in bed together, and Janet called her the most brazen bitch I've ever seen. True. And Martha then killed her in a fit of jealousy. Mm-hmm. So either killed her in a fit of rage because she was writing to her stepdaughter? Yeah, I think she was afraid she'd like... Uh... Like she'd come visit or something, maybe, or I don't know. Or that she would say, you know, it's interesting. I married this man and his sister follows him around everywhere he goes and he really wants all of my cash. Right. And the stepdaughter would be like, um, how about you get the fuck out of there? I'm I'm, I'm coming to see it. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So I think Martha was just kind of afraid of the stepdaughter getting involved. Right. Right. Rumbling them or whatever. So either fit of rage for that or fit of jealousy because Raymond decided, yeah, 66, but uh, she's a looker. (laughs) I'm not beneath it. Well, he was beneath it. Hey. Hey, Either way, it was definitely Martha who killed Janet. Martha herself said she went into a blackout. She had no idea what happened until she kind of came to with Raymond shaking her shoulders saying, Martha, Martha, what have you done? And she looked down and saw that she had hit Janet in the head with a ball-peen hammer. Aye fracturing her skull, and she was bleeding profusely, but she was not dead. Raymond finished the job by strangling her with a scarf. Um, Martha said at her trial that she was in some kind of trance during all this and just didn't feel like she was really there or something, some kind of weird out-of-body experience or whatever. They cleaned up the room. They wrapped Janet in towels and sheets and shoved her in the closet, and then they went to sleep. Just another night. So the next day, they wake up. It's morning. The, the birds are chirping. The sun is rising. They get out of bed and they stretch and they say, well, better take care of this dead old woman. And they put Janet in a trunk and they decided that they would take her to Raymond's actual sister's house in Astoria. They convinced the sister, hey, sis, hey, I got a favor for you. Uh, 
hang on to this trunk for me in the basement, will you? Do me a bigger favor. Don't open it. Right. Uh, it's got my uh, my dirty undies are in there. You don't want to see any of that. I just, for some reason, I need you. To, I need to keep them here for a minute. Um. Okay. Sure. I guess. Ah, uh, you're a you're a doll, sis. Here's, have you met my other sister, Martha? <laughs> You guys don't remember each other, do you? So 11 days later, after they leave the trunk at his sister's house, they go to get it, and they buried it in the cellar of the house they rented in Long Island, and they buried it under the basement, covered it with cement, never to be seen again until it was found. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) So they go up and they cash all Janet's checks, and they wrote a letter to her stepdaughter. Dear Mary, I am all excited and having the time of my life. I never felt so happy before. I soon will be Mrs. Martin and go to Florida. Mary, I am about to ask you a great favor. I would like you to call on the American Express Agency and have them ship my trunks and boxes that I have there to me. The address is on the various stickers I am enclosing in the letter. I would like to sort out many things before I leave for Florida. I am so happy and contented, for Charles is so good and nice to me, and also his family. They have done everything to make me feel comfortable and at home. I will close with my best wishes for you both, and love and kisses for the children. I really do miss you all, but I am sure that my prayers are granted to me by sending me this wonderful man. God bless you all. Janet L. Fay. Kind of landed on a little thick. <laughs> and did I mention how <laughs> handsome he is? <laughs> Not only that, but they made one fatal mistake. Janet didn't have a typewriter. All of her previous letters to her stepdaughter were handwritten. And her stepdaughter, Mary, also tried sending a letter to the address Janet enclosed, but the letter was returned. So she starts, you know, sleuthing, thinking, something. Something's afoot here. I don't know if I trust this letter too much. They also found it very suspicious that she signed it Janet L. Fay. Like, it was so formal. Mm-hmm. And, like, so anyway, they just thought it was shady. Yeah. And they were right. <laughs> signed, definitely your real stepmother. <laughs> My full name is Janet L. Fay. Uh, don't ask me what the L stands for. <laughs> I'm too old and I forgot. <laughs> So her family immediately contact the police, and this sets them on the trail of the Lonely Hearts killers. But Ray and Martha did not know that. They just continued scheming. They just wrote that letter and dusted their hands off like, ah, we took care of every loose thread. (laughs) Yeah, they had a nice chunk of change from Janet, and now they're on their way to Grand Rapids, Michigan to meet their next target, a woman named Delphine Downing and her two-year-old daughter, Raynell. Delphine also knew Raymond as Charles Martin, a successful import-export businessman. <laughs> <laughs> this um, guy is king of the... Hey, if a story works, stick, stick to, to it. it. What do you import and export? Well, I import exports, export, you know, <laughs> imports. <laughs> Domestics, international, you get it. <laughs> She was glad to welcome him when he said he'd come to visit her along with his sister, Martha. Mm. Oh, you're bringing your sister. Okay. How respectable. Oh, you two must be so close. <laughs> I bet you two get into all kinds of things together. 
Yep. <laughs> he was very sweet to her child and he was courteous to her and everything seemed chill. And they apparently also started having a sexual relationship at that point. And one night, Delphine saw Raymond without his toupee. Oh my God. And this kind of shocked her. In one article, they said she said, why you're bald. <laughs> and in another one, she said, you're old. <laughs> so I don't know which one. Either way. <laughs> she must have been really shocked. She was very surprised. And he was kind of like, oh, what does it matter? You know, it's just hair or whatever. I was just feeling nervous or something. You know, he's just trying to play it off. Yeah. But she's like, you lied to me. I don't trust you. Wow. You know, you need to get out of here. Uh, she got really upset. It's pretty Maybe rude, she's just, to be honest. I know. I was kind of like, well, I mean, it turned out she was right to be worried about sure. him and yes. be like, you're a liar. Yes. But if he really just had a toupee and was just a bald guy, I'd be like, what a bitch. Right. Like, that's so mean. But anyway, she was just straight up freaking out. So Martha convinced her to take some sleeping pills to calm down. But she gave her, as she do, a few too many. Yeah. Here, just take 30 of these. They're, they're not very strong. <laughs> No problem. Why don't you wash him down with a little whiskey? A little more. A little more. Uh. So Delphine's kind of passing out. She doesn't feel right. She's sort of freaking out. And the toddler notices and starts to cry. Our two-year-old Raynell. And that infuriated Martha. So she grabbed Raynell and started choking her on the neck. Uh. And Raymond's pissed. He's like, don't do that. Not because it's a child, <laughs> by the way. He said when Delphine wakes up and she sees the bruises on her kid's neck, she's going to go to the police. And that's going to, like, blow our whole thing up. So Martha said, do something. So what did he do? Well, let's see. Uh, I'm worried about this kid with bruises on her neck and the woman waking up. Let's see. I should probably come up with a good story uh, so that this looks like a big misunderstanding. Uh, maybe we should just get out of here. Maybe we call this one a bust and try something. Nope. He <laughs> grabs a pistol, wraps it in a towel and shot Delphine in the head, with the daughter watching the whole time from a few feet away. Absolutely horrible. Fucking nightmare. Horrible. They wrapped Delphine in a towel and buried her in the basement, and Raymond covered the grave with cement while Martha cleaned up the crime scene. Yikes. Yeah. Okay, so this has gone from uh, some petty theft to some light poisoning, <laughs> some casual, oops, we murdered them. To straight up, I'm gonna shoot you. Gun to the head in front of your daughter. Like, that's, I think we've lost our sympathy for yeah. old Martha and Raymond at this point. So they cashed any of Delphine's checks they could find. They looted her jewelry box. They took anything of value and they made plans to leave. But now there's this two year old <sighs> hanging out right now. And they don't want a two year old hanging out. Cover your ears. So what did they do? Martha drowned the baby in a metal tub full of dirty water, which I don't know why the dirty water. It makes it worse. Makes it worse. It does. It, it does. I don't know. It's just. It's like disrespectful. I, I, I mean, it's already disrespectful. Of, I don't know. Lack of dignity to it. That just It's the lowest, most disgusting thing a person can do. Yeah. And then you're like, let me make it a little lower for you. Mm-hmm. And that just. It's awful. Yeah. And Raymond dug another grave in the basement that they covered with cement. And there was no more two-year-olds. So what'd they do? They went to the movies. They went to the movies. They had soda and popcorn and they went to the movies. Speculation Station. It's February 27th, 1949. Mm -hmm. What movie do you think they saw? Let's see. What movies that were out February 27th, 1949. Some of the popular movies of the day included... Ray Milano in Alias Nick Beale. 
They've got a Spencer Tracy, Deborah Kerr movie called Edward, My Son, hmm. Bad Boy by Kurt Newman, hmm. and <gasps> Cover Up by Alfred E. Green. <gasps> Why? They, they definitely they went saw, saw Cover, cover up, up, right? They were like, well, we just covered up a grave, so we may as well go to this movie Cover Up. They probably thought it was funny. They probably did think it was funny. Ugh, little dicks. God, these people are the worst. So they went and saw Cover Up, I think. They, I, I'm they pretty much into that. They must have gone to see Cover Up, right? How could <laughs> I, they not? I'm making that a historic fact now. <laughs> and then they came back to their apartment to pack and leave, which they should have fucking done already, by the way. Whew, I'm wiped out from burying two bodies in the basement. You want to catch a movie before we get out of town? No, you bitch. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> and there was a knock on the door. It was the cops. Mary's cops, looking for Janet, had found them. And once they entered the house, they also found the freshly dug graves in the basement. And the gig was up. Martha and Raymond were arrested February 28th, 1949. Well, let's find out what happened to them right after this. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment... Oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. You can work from the road while turning your vehicle into a powerful high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On a network that covers more roads than any other carrier, connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls. Finish up that presentation or answer last-minute emails. Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi to see if you're eligible for a free trial today. Based on independent third-party data, always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next-day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. 
you know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Welcome back. Encyclopedia.com says that when Raymond was searched, a notebook with the names of over 20 missing women was found on him. And apparently, initially, Raymond confessed to killing over 17 women. But authorities actually could not tie him to any of the murders. And many of the missing women were found perfectly safe and chillin'. So another source had said he confessed to killing more people than they actually did because they were in Michigan, which did not have the death penalty. Oh. And they were there for Janet from New York, which did have the death penalty. I see. So he was kind of like, maybe if I throw in some extra crimes, you know, they won't send me back to New York, basically. He did tell investigators, I'm no average killer. And he and Martha signed a 73-page confession in front of the Kent County DA, Roger McMahon. And Roger assured them, since they were cooperating, only Raymond would be charged with anything. And he'd get maybe six years tops and get out with good behavior. Now, anyone who's seen a law procedural would laugh that that is not true. (laughs) Yeah. Roger McMahon's a bigger liar than than Raymond is. (laughs) But also, the New York press got a hold of the story. And the Lonely Hearts case became the number one story in America. And Martha started to be trash-talked in the worst way. Much worse than Raymond. I mean, her weight, of course, was brought up at every opportunity. They even created opportunities to do this. Yeah, and they said it was anywhere from 200 to 300 pounds. They were all wrong, but they just made up a number. They called her a simpering, giggling divorcee. They called her a weird woman and unattractive. One name they called her was the obese ogress. They were so mean that Martha actually wrote letters from prison about objecting to the way people talked about her, which I'm sure people just laughed at, like, oh, well, maybe you shouldn't have murdered people. But it's one of those things, to me, this just shows that people are just waiting for an iota of permission to be as cruel as possible. Like, all I want to do is say horrible things about a fat woman. So as soon as I'm given the opportunity where I can defend myself and say, well, she's a murderer, so it's okay, I could say whatever I want, they run for it. They were just waiting to be given the okay, to be cruel. And that's, ah, it's heartbreaking to me. Yeah. Murder PD even was comparing, they brought up Ruth Snyder, who was another murderess Uh who was executed. And apparently studies have been done about how cruel the press was to Ruth Snyder in comparison to male killers. Yeah. And they're they're like, you can see it. It's very clear. There's no question about it. Women are treated worse by the press than men are, period, regardless of the crime. So this was definitely one of those cases where the the press was really trying to be as mean as possible. God, just people are just a fucking... Anyway, back to the story. (laughs) But all these headlines were creating a lot of pressure to convict the two lovers. And more than that, people wanted them to die. Because of the media, it was as if their guilt had already been confirmed. And it was just about getting to a verdict and that verdict better be death or we're going to have a problem. So by March, a deal had been cut between New York and Michigan, where Michigan waived their right to prosecute the charges about the murder of Delphine and Raynell Downing and extradited them to New York to face the charge of the murder of Janet Fay. So that's the only thing they were actually ever charged with, even though they were tied to these other murders. Because if they went to New York, they could get the electric chair. So... On an extra hot day in July at the Bronx Supreme Court, (laughs) the trial of the Lonely Hearts killers began. And this was big news. I mean, spectators filled the courtroom and spilled out into the streets. Everyone in town 
was showing up for this trial. They were hanging on to every detail. Raymond was first to take the stand. Martha nodded approvingly from her chair, and he told the jury that he had nothing to do with killing Janet Faye. He'd only confessed to save Martha. He said, All my statements were made for the purpose of helping Martha. I love her. Couldn't be anything else. And he told them that the Michigan authorities had assured him that he would only go to jail for a few years and that Martha would be let go. But this lurid confession didn't help. They'd really painted a picture for the Michigan DA, right? Martha told them, I can still hear it. The blood was dripping, dripping, dripping. And the sound of it just sounded like it could be heard all over the house. Oh, she went real telltale heart. Yeah, she, she did. She also said that when Fernandez was strangling Janet Faye, her false teeth fell out and they were smart enough to dispose of them because, quote, we realized in case her body was found, if the teeth were there, that would be a mode of identification, which shows a lot of like thinking power, not like a bit of passion thing. Yeah. Does that work for false teeth? I just feel like it takes away the identification aspect of it. Like the whole point is the teeth are embedded in your mouth a certain way. So we know that those are your teeth and that they match your dental records. But it was like, I guess her dentures would be on on her dental records. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. They just because she has those dentures in her mouth doesn't mean they're hers. You could have something on your person that belongs to someone else. That doesn't sure. To me, that doesn't line up as as uh, identification. But still, sure. (laughs) Let's get rid of the teeth. You know, cover your bases. Maybe it happens. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. They were like, just cover your ass. Cover your ass. Raymond also took this opportunity on the stand to talk <laughs> about all the sex he had with all these ladies. I don't mean to brag, but I did fuck all these women. Yeah. Much was made of a three-way strip poker game he played with Martha and Esther Hen. The last hand was played for who would have the pleasure of sleeping with Fernandez, and Martha won. I'm glad she wasn't posing as a sister this time. (laughs) That would have been a real weird game to play. Esther's like, you guys, Um, do you guys often play a strip poker together? I know. Wouldn't Esther be like, um, so wait a minute. She's your sister-in-law, but y'all fuck? Yeah, I don't know. That's a weird one. But uh, I guess Esther didn't ask a lot of questions. I guess not. Raymond's testimony was so lurid that unauthorized persons were not permitted to loiter outside the courtroom. (laughs) And the New York Times reported that, quote, many of these would-be spectators, predominantly women, did without lunch in order not to lose their places. Listen, this was the murder podcast of its day. Women love a true crime podcast. (laughs) They were like, I am not missing this shit. I'm going to stand right here in my sensible heels and Uh, listen to everything. (laughs) I will skip lunch (laughs) to get the deets on this dirty story. (laughs) So then it was Martha's turn to take the stand. And everybody was very curious about what she was going to say. Was she going to be like, yeah, Raymond's right. I fucking did all that myself and everything. But to be fair, the prosecution did go after him for Jane Thompson and for Delphine and Raynell Downing and for Myrtle Young as well. So they were like, maybe Martha killed Janet, but what about all these other women that as soon as they met you, they fucking died? And so people were kind of like, oh, is she going to take the rap for all that too? Right. So she gets on the stand and she explains to the prosecution that she had been raped as a child, that she was lonely and isolated, that she had tried to commit suicide several times. Because at this point, they're trying for an insanity plea. They're trying to get innocent because they're crazy and they don't know that what they're doing is wrong. And she said she knew Raymond was a murderer and that she helped him find lonely women to victimize. Sometimes she'd giggle 
and say things like, Raymond got quite a kick out of the photographs of some of the old hags who write to him and expected him to correspond with them. Which, you know, you're one of the hags, right, Martha? (laughs) I mean... (laughs) These stupid women actually fell for it. (laughs) She told the prosecution, We loved each other, and I consider it absolutely sacred. You referred to the lovemaking as abnormal, but for the love I had for Fernandez, nothing is abnormal. Well, I feel like some of these things were abnormal, Martha. nothing about this is normal. (laughs) (laughs) She also said, A request from Mr. Fernandez to me is a command. I loved him enough to do anything he asked me to. She continued to claim that she remembered nothing about killing Janet Fay, but according to Murderpedia, she instructed Raymond to wrap the scarf around Janet's neck and twist it like a tourniquet, claiming with a straight face that her training as a nurse taught her that it would stop the bleeding from her head. Oh. So speculation station, maybe not such a good nurse after all. (laughs) How'd she get promoted so fast? <laughs> She's like, by the way, if you hit an old lady over the head and cause her to bleed, you should wrap a, a tourniquet, tourniquet about her, her neck. neck and squeeze it really hard. When she described some of the sex acts connected to Raymond's voodoo practice, two dozen cops had to be called for crowd control as people tried to push into the courtroom to hear the details. Damn. After 44 days of testimony, the trial went to jury on August 18th, And the next morning, both Martha and Raymond were found guilty of first-degree murder with no recommendation for mercy. Neither of them showed any emotion as the verdict was read, and they were both transferred to Sing Sing Prison. Martha submitted a list of people who could visit her, which included her children. Hi, Mom. I'm not sure why. Oh, you remembered them? (laughs) They'd want to see her. Hey, remember your mother that dropped you off at the Salvation Army? Well, she just got convicted of murder. You want to go say hi? No, thank you. She also included her mother and her brother. Also weird. weird. With her claims of rape and abuse. I don't know. Maybe she wanted to put all that behind her before. Yeah, I don't know. Or she was like, look what you did to me. Come talk to me. I don't know. Uh, Yeah, maybe she really wanted to tell him off one last time. Or maybe she was so lonely that she was just like any, yeah, their family. So I don't know. Public still hadn't lost their thirst for these stories about Martha and Raymond. And they got what they wanted. In September 1950, it was rumored that Martha was having an ongoing sexual relationship with one of the prison guards. That story made front page news. She said in a letter to the warden that the rumor was started by Raymond and it was, quote, one of the most asinine and ridiculous statements ever made. She said that her family probably heard the rumor and... It would be a shock and embarrassment to them. Uh, oh, I'd hate to yeah. embarrass my family after that's the shock and embarrassment. Cross-country homicides. <laughs> it wasn't all the death and stuff. It Ugh. wasn't killing a baby. It was this. Raymond submitted papers to have his case dropped because the triangle, I guess he, the love triangle between him, Martha, and then this prison guard, subjects him to mental torture beyond endurance but also asked that he be executed right away to end his living death. So one or the other. Look, either kill me now or get me out of here. Right. Either way, I can't deal with my my non-wife Martha sleeping uh-huh. with a prison guard that she's not even sleeping with. Yeah. Martha wrote to her attorney, what do they expect me to do? Sit here and let him destroy the one thread of decency I have left? He has done so much talking about how he has me wrapped around his little finger that it was a blow to his ego when I unwrapped myself and forgot about him. All I can say is, what a character. Uh, Girl, you didn't unwrap yourself. You are in prison. (laughs) 
for helping him murder a bunch of people. I love this, like, old married couple bickering they're going through in separate <laughs> With cells. With their lawyers. Yeah, <laughs> their lawyers are just like, oh, my God, I have to tell him what now? And another thing. <laughs> I always hated it when he left all the cabinets open. <laughs> you know what? Maybe that's what drove me to murder. I do hate that when you do that. Look, it's gotten a lot better, and there's a lot of things. You know why I know? Because I used to not think about it, and now I think about it all the time. Good. I'm glad to have a positive effect on you. I don't. Yeah. No, it is. I'd rather <laughs> close the cabinets. Good. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> I also would prefer that. <laughs> we'll save yours for the next episode. I know. I'm sure there's plenty, <laughs> plenty to say. Uh, and in a letter to her mother, Martha said, Oh, yes, he's brave when it comes to talk and hurting others. He can kill without batting an eyelash. But to hurt himself, he'd never do it. It takes a man to kill himself, not a sniveling, low-down, double-crossing rat like him. What a dare. Meanwhile, Raymond is still writing to his wife in Spain, Encarnacion. Mm -hmm. And and his four children. On January 8th of 1951, he wrote, Kisses and hugs to the children. <laughs> I don't know why he's from I know, I'm like, the he, south of Bronx. He was born in Hawaii. <laughs> he lives in New York. That's all Whatever, I, I like all it. I got. <laughs> Kisses and hugs to the children. And you receive a million kisses and hugs from the one who always will have you until the last second of my life. She apparently knew about the other women, and presumably she knew that he was in prison, given the return address. But she wrote back, Do you prefer me to fly to you and spank you for not writing, just as if you were a little child? Kisses from the children. All my love to you, your wife, Encarna. What, what is up with Encarna? <laughs> like, girl! <laughs> I don't get it. You are so naughty. I can't believe you didn't write to me after your murder trial. <laughs> kisses also like he fled the country after killing someone in spain you don't think he said goodbye to her right i mean i don't <laughs> after he showed up and was like pretend to be my old friend wife she had a I, I don't know if she had a very different idea of what was going on or if she just didn't understand how the world was supposed to work or if she was absolute looney tunes right or yeah if she was just kind of like martha and was like okay whatever you need to do i don't really give a shit as long as i'm here with the kids i'm chilling <laughs> oh boys and their games you know <gasps> boys and their toys boys and their mass murders and <sighs> constant lies you just can't keep up with them you just got to let them get it out of their system <laughs> oh so their execution date was set for march 8th 1951 raymond got nervous about being able to hold up under pressure, and as the hours drew near, the killer couple reconciled. Martha even sent Raymond a poem, according to the serial killer calendar. The serial killer calendar, my favorite. <laughs> so it sounds like we're about to head down to Poetry Corner, and we've got a reading today from Martha Beck to her lover, Raymond Fernandez. A Memo to Ray by Martha Beck. Remember, sweetheart, the night that you and I, side by side, were sitting? Watching o'er the moonlit sky, fleecy clouds were flitting. How close our hands were linked then. When, my darling, when will they be linked again? What to me the starlight still, or the moonbeam's splendor, if I do not feel the thrill of your fingers tender? Wow. I don't even know what to say about that poem. It's also, like, bad. Well, yeah. <laughs> it's, really, it's like, I mean, I've, I've, we can only assume it's her first poem. I don't know. 
So there's a there's it's bad yet there's a sweetness to it, it but it's sweet. a weird sweetness. It's weird. Yeah, I don't know if it maybe if you saw it completely without any context about who wrote it and to whom they were writing it. Yeah, you might be like, oh, that's cute. What yeah. to me is the moonlight without you with right. me? That's very romantic. Yeah, but knowing what we know, it's <laughs> fucking weird. <laughs> now Ray was apparently moved to tears. By this poem. He was truly touched and he wrote back to her, I would like to shout my love for you to the world. And then he also said, the news brought to me that Martha loves me is the best I've had in years. Now I'm ready to die. So tonight I'll die like a man. He wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was the practice of the time to take the most distraught prisoners to the electric chair First, they don't want people freaking out or making the other prisoners like right. Exactly. Like we don't want you agitated. Up. Let's try. Yeah. yeah, it was a busy day for Sing Sing's electric chair. Before Raymond, two petty thieves were executed. They had killed a man in 1950 during a bungled car theft. And the New York Daily News, in an article from 2011, said it was the Queen's killer's lousy luck to face fate alongside the widow whackers. <laughs> what? Which uh, I thought was like, that's 2011. This sounds like it was written in 1951. <laughs> right. And they also called Raymond and Martha a third-rate gigolo and his tubby tootsie. Wow. In 2011, they said that. So, yeah, not much has changed since 1950. Should really do better. So the thieves died first, and then Raymond, who did become panic-stricken, and he had to be carried to the chair Martha, however, walked to the chair of her own volition. She had no tears. Her final statement to the press, What does it matter who is to blame? My story is a love story, but only those tortured with love can understand what I mean. I was pictured as a fat, unfeeling woman. I am not unfeeling, stupid, or moronic. In the history of the world, how many crimes have been attributed to love? To which I'd like to quote my dear friend, Detective Jake Peralta of Brooklyn's 99th Precinct, Cool motive, still murder. <laughs> I'll tell you, it's the same thing, though. When Martha sets her mind to something. She sees it through. She sees it through. Raymond was buried at state expense in the prison cemetery at Sing Sing. Martha's body was turned over to relatives, and she was buried in Florida. Now, books have been written about them. Several movies have been made, particularly The Honeymoon Killers in 1970. Uh, fun fact. A young Marty Scorsese was directing this <laughs> film at first, but he was fired for working too slowly, wasting money and time. And apparently he was shooting nothing but master coverage with no close ups or anything, which made the film impossible to edit. Marty, what were you doing? I think he said later on, he was like, yeah, they should have fired me. <laughs> <laughs> when it came out, it was pretty critically acclaimed, especially for the performances and this sort of uh, black and white sort of documentary style it was shot in, which made it very realistic and left one critic mildly nauseated. In 2006, a movie came out called Lonely Hearts, based on the killings, where the Spanish-Hawaiian Raymond Fernandez was played by Jared Leto. Oh. And the fat, unattractive, obese ogress Martha Beck was played by Salma Hayek. Come on, there are fat actresses out there who are great actresses 
and ready to work. I'll tell you what, there's also Spanish Hawaiian actors out there who are ready to work too. You don't need fucking you don't need Jared, Jared Leto. Fucking also, Leto. save yourself the trouble of having to work with Jared Leto. <laughs> Can I just real. say that across the board for anyone casting anything? They were like, we need to think of someone like super into himself. Oh, I got it. Yeah, right. <laughs> I got it. I know the person. <laughs> so Martha should have listened to Meatloaf. I'll do anything for love, but I won't do that. <laughs> Oh, man. I mean, she was, you know, she'd been through it. Uh, but I'm not going to sit here and try and justify her actions. because no. they're just really, heinous murderers. They're really just heinous murderers. Mm-hmm. They're bad people. And some people are treated very poorly throughout their whole lives and don't murder anyone. So not, not, not going to throw out a bunch of sympathy here. Cool motive, still murder. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yes. <laughs> well, that was a great story. You guys know what to do. Let us know what you thought. Yeah, our first bloodthirsty murder story. Yeah, killer couples. We're romance at iheartmedia.com. We love hearing from you. It's very exciting. So it's thank you. So exciting. We love it. Uh, you can get us on the socials. Mm-hmm. I'm at O'Great. Oh it's Eli on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Diana Might Boom, also on Instagram and Twitter. Mm-hmm. And we're both at Redick Romance on those platforms. So feel free to slide into the DMs anytime. Come say hey. Thank you so much for listening to this crazy episode. Yeah. We'll see you next time. So long, friends, it's time to go. Thanks for listening to our show. Tell your friends, neighbors, uncles, and aunts to listen to our show, Ridiculous Romance. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network. 
Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.